radio to our own podcast station. Welcome to the first ever episode of Decomposing the Podcast. I'm Daniel White and I'd like to introduce you to my very good friend, almost my brother, Mr. A.D. Lane. <laughs> Still wearing shorts, even, <laughs> you know, from, from our live radio show to the podcast radio show. Still wearing shorts. Well, some things never change, do they? Um, before we get into our introductions, I'd like to give a massive shout out to Incapable Staircase. You can listen to that awesome radio station at incapablestaircase.com or even download the Incapable Staircase app. I went a bit local radio then, sorry. Uh, especially to uh, Bella and James, uh, the station owners, because without them we would not be doing this. So uh, if you're fed up with with modern radio or, or commercial radio, go and check Incapable Staircase out. They are absolutely amazing. There we go. That's my plug out of the way because I feel slightly guilty about jumping ship. Actually, well, you, you should. I mean, this is this is the evolution, isn't it? I mean, we started off with nothing, and I mean, okay, we've still got a little bit of nothing, but, but <laughs> a little we've bit got, of nothing. <laughs> we've got our dignities, and we've got our memories. <laughs> I have not got much dignity left. Um, so we've got slightly less nothing, but we've still got a bit of nothing. How do you quantify nothing? Uh, a, a lot of nothing is everything. <laughs> You've gone on Christopher Nolan really early in the show. <laughs> don't, don't worry too much. In fact, I, I like I like this new era because we when we don't have to pretend. We never pretended anyway. Yeah, we have. With the radio, we're like, oh, well... Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, we don't really because we always pre-record now, so we don't we don't know what time of the day is. Whereas with this, uh, we we'll probably be doing it in the morning. So we so <laughs> yeah. you know where we stand. So so we moved to a podcast because we were we were recording all our live shows because I went and got a job. It was my fault. Um, and then then I suddenly thought, why don't we just move this to podcasts? It just it just felt right. And because of the uh, copyright issues around music, you know, so I suddenly realised after I'd pitched this to you that means we couldn't play any music. So we'd have to basically talk for an hour and a half unless I want to really bore people with my own music, which isn't really soundtracky at the moment. Yeah, and uh, and the and the and the first day of doing it, I'm I'm suffering from a three day sore throat cold, so I can't guarantee uh, that my coughing fit won't start about ten minutes in. Wait, well, wait, that's what everybody look forward to, isn't it? <laughs> so, what, what do I do if you start coughing? Do I talk over your coughing? Do I allow you to cough? <laughs> if I if I if if you don't see my face, because we've got this video, it we we can see each other, but if you can't see me and I'm on the floor. Uh, that's a red alert situation. That is for you to then talk randomly about your, your favourite 80s horror. Well, I'm peering over your desk waiting for you to get up, you know. <laughs> Hoping that I get... What if, what if I don't get up? Will you Will you call for someone? I don't you know. I'd have, to, I'd have to interrupt record then. And we did promise ourselves that we'd do this in one take. So I I'd probably did. let you lie there hoping you weren't dead and then, and then, and then, and then, then ring you after the show. But you never pick up your phone anyway. No, no, I don't do phones. I don't do phones. No. They're the they're the devil's work. So I couldn't really WhatsApp you. Are you dead? Yes. All oh, right then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I if I if I go to the floor with my phone, let me. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna pre just in case worst case scenario. I'm putting the phone on the floor, <laughs> but just in case the worst happens. Uh, it's on WhatsApp. It's ready. So uh, you could, or you uh, can you could mask and tape it to your head, but then you might fall on it and break it. 
Although, 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 technically, if, if I've still got a little bit of voice, I can scream out, "Get help!" It'll <laughs> be very atmospheric. So, yes, um, dear podcast listeners, this is very much what we do. We have a theme, and we totally ignore it, and end up talking about Walking Dead lots or something. I don't know. <clears throat> So, yes, so um, I thought because before we get into what we're about to talk about on our intro show, um, we should basically introduce ourselves a little bit about ourselves and um, and and kind of why we started doing this show. So do you want to introduce yourself, Mr. Lane? Yeah. Uh, well, OK. Um, so uh, the, I guess the quick version is uh, yeah. Daniel asked me to do a, a guest appearance on his on his radio show uh probably a couple of years ago now yeah and um you know i've i've got a i've got a fear of public speaking uh, always have done and um you know and because it was a favor for daniel i was like right i'm gonna overcome this and uh, try and enjoy it um i did it a few times we ended up uh, somehow uh ended up doing our own show uh for a year and uh, that that helped a lot and uh, here we, so this is the evolution of uh, my fear of public speaking, I guess. And uh, here I am doing now doing a ninety-minute uh, talkathon podcast with him. <laughs> and, and we're still waiting for your debut feature to come out. How many years is it now? Fourteen, fifteen? I've lost count now. Oh, God, I wish. Uh, I think this is probably clocking on to sixteen years now. Are you going to wait until it's 20 and then just do a kind of 20-year release? or Please, not three years. I can't cope with another three years. No, no. Um, so, I mean, okay, the update is minus a few sound tweaks, I am almost ready to send the new edit to uh, my, uh, my, my, my cinematographer, Josh, um, there's no point in me going, oh, I'm going to send it to Josh, because people in the podcast world don't have a clue who Josh is, like uh, me and Daniel do. Uh, so he's our cinematographer for the film, and uh, he turns beautiful pictures into stunning pictures. He does. He does a brilliant job. The blonde Josh, the, the <laughs> godlike deity that is Josh, who shares a surname with me, weirdly, but we're not related. And I have to say, um, you know, apart from yourself, Daniel, who has supported uh, my, um, I guess, the, just the positivity the, the, to, towards keep, keep, you know, to keep going uh, with a project as long as this. Uh, Josh has watched pretty much every. Si- I mean, I haven't, I haven't put put you through this pain, but Josh has watched every single edit I've ever done on this film. And in the last six years, it must be about a hundred. Um, and never once has he said, um, I, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to watch another version of it. I don't want to grade another version of this film. This is, this is a guy who has supported uh, like beyond the point of of what a, a human being should should support another another creative. So I just want to give a shout out uh, to my dear friend Josh White. Yeah, he's awesome. Well done, Josh. Um, so myself, Daniel White, as I said, um, I have always loved music soundtrack, um, film soundtrack. I've always loved it right from listening to the Untouchables and LP. I'm that old. Um, and, and Elfman and, you know, all of, all of the greats, John Williams, obviously Hans Zimmer. Uh, so I, I started, um, 
my work in in film uh, a few years ago when I when I wanted to create a, a a way for independent films to market themselves to a wider audience. So I started a company called White Screen Promotions to do PR for independent films, um, and I had a reasonable success with My Feral Heart, which was a really really powerful indie film, and that was basically it. And then I realised that there was no money in this because they mm-hmm. don't have any money to pay marketing people, so it really wasn't going to work. But by this stage, I'd engaged with uh, the great Mr. Lane uh, to run marketing for Invasion of the Not Quite Dead, his horror film. Um, And we were just getting to the point a few years ago, we thought, where we were about to release it. Do you remember that? It was years ago. It's all a a giant blur now. We've moved house twice since then. (laughs) It was that long. Um, I've had three kids. Yeah. Yeah. And and your your composer um, kind of walked... Is the polite way of saying it, wasn't it? Or was encouraged to walk? No, he was fired. He was, he was yeah, fired. Sorry. He, was fired for, he was fired for exploiting uh, more money than, than his contract suggested. Yes. So in absolute fit of anger, I said to Tony, well, I'll soundtrack your film for you, and the rest, as they say, is history. Invasion of the Not Quite Dead has got a very out there, very weird soundtrack, which was an absolute pleasure to work on. Um, and I started working on other projects, theatrical projects as well, um, a few short films. And yeah, it's been it's been really exciting. It's been really amazing. So on this podcast, you have the film director uh, of Mr. Oh. D, Mr. D Lane and writer. Don't, um, don't lie to these people, Daniel. You did direct it. No one else could um, um, direct that. Uh, well, well, class myself as an artist. I certainly wouldn't class myself as a film director. <laughs> well, whatever you want to call it, you did kind of tell people what to do sometimes. <laughs> That's kind of directing. That's kind of directing. Film coercer. I've seen so long. It does. does. And and I and I kind of represent the film composing. So decomposing the idea came that we would decompose uh, the concepts of soundtrack and talk about film, and it's just kind of evolved from there, really. Um, incidentally, if you are listening to this, sorry about this, if you're listening to this show, you might only want to listen to it once and then never listen to it again. But if you do want to come back and give us some feedback, uh, we can cope with abuse, but do, do try and keep it clean, please. This is this is a family show. Um, you can email the show at decomposepodcast at gmail.com. And you can, I've always wanted to say this, <clears throat> you can listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. I've arrived. It's doing a happy dance. Happy dance. So <laughs> yes. So 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 we thought, what should we do for our first podcast? Something that we're really geeky and nerdy and excited about. And uh, Tony said, "I know. Let's talk about eighties horror." So this show, ladies and gentlemen, and Alan the dog is all about eighties horror show, horror films, horror shows, horror films, horror movies. If you're in America, but films, movies, that stuff. So where do we start? You you can you can decide which film franchise or film we start with, and then we'll just evolve from there. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. I wasn't expecting for us to uh, just dive in and, and choose something. Um, well, we can do anything really. It's our show now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I don't know. Like, I mean, do we do we do we dive into a franchise? Well, we could we could do. I was thinking about this. Uh, I'm just going to take this back now because you were too too um, too hesitant. And, yeah, it was, yeah. Just, it was just like dithering, dithering. Come back. Um, <laughs> sorry, I was rude. It's, it's, it's so full of, of, 
of greatness, isn't it? It is. Uh, now, I, I remember two, two film, well, three, really, actually, film posters from the 80s that, that really grabbed me as a kid. Um, before I even saw the film, long time before I saw the films, two are, two are John Carpenter films, uh, and the other one is a Clive Barker film. So these posters gripped me um, and, and filled me with horror, but I liked it. So the first one was... The, <laughs> the first one was The Thing uh, poster, which doesn't give much away at all, but it's just, you know, the, the, the shadowy figure with, you know, alienish and the light, and it was just an incredible poster. So John Carpenter's The Thing, I thought, I must see that film. Yeah. Um, and the other one is Prince of Darkness. Because the poster's amazing. You know, Don't you think that they put more effort into their posters in the 80s than well, they do now? Yeah, absolutely they did. I mean, look at the retro, um, not really horror, but look at the retro's Indiana Jones posters, which, which is great that the new film has kind of gone back to. They are works of art in their own right. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, the 80s represents me walking into a video shop, I guess, aged between 10 um, and till the video shop closed. Um, and yeah, I mean, my, my best memories are walking to a video shop and going straight to the horror aisle. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, like I, I remember walking in there with my dad because uh, obviously I needed my dad to get any film that I wanted out, and he did. You know, this oh, is a sense. this is a whole different era. You know, where a ten-year-old, an eleven-year-old, could go into a video shop, pick out like you know some three or four cheesy eight, eighteen-rated horror films, slam them on the desk. My dad goes, "Can we have these, please?" <laughs> you wouldn't get that now. The way that the way that life is, and and no. I guess the way that we're, we're trying to protect our children a lot more than that we than we was protected uh, or not protected in the 80s. Um, but these are my favourite memories, you know, mm. going into that video shop, looking up at, you know, this 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 whole just row of of the the, the, the video cases with, with artwork that just obviously better than the film because, you know, you, you get you get certain <laughs> you get certain dodgy ones where the artwork is just incredible. You get the film at home and you, 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 I don't know, it's just, it's like a, a snooze fest. So you can get tricked. They have been tricking you since the 80s yeah, with, uh, with video case marketing. They have, absolutely. And then you get the weird ones, like the case of Ghoulies, which had this weird, <laughs> weird... And Ghoulies on the toilet. Yeah, just yeah. this weird creature just kind of popping its head out of the toilet. And just, what is yeah. that about? Yeah, I mean, there was there was great marketing in, in the eighties of because uh, obviously Ghoulies is 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 a, is a comedy version of, of Gremlins, you know. It's uh, it's uh, we talked about this on a previous show um, and uh, about mockumentaries. <laughs> uh, they've been doing them since the eighties. I think Charles Band, uh, you know, like I, I'm fairly sure he he's got something to do with Ghoulies, um, you know. And it's like, well, Gremlins was a hit. You know what? What can we do that, that's not quite Gremlins, but but our own very very low budget version of it? Well, comedy is always a great way of of doing. And Ghoulies, you know, they're not great films, but no, they're not. They're um, not. You know, they're, they're not going to win any awards, but you know, they're they're still they're still part of a nostalgic, you know, retro eighties. You know, I, I I would still put the Ghoulies films on just uh, maybe just once as an adult. 
<laughs> just once then realized, this is rubbish i'm not watching this again and <laughs> and the third one was clive barker's hellraiser uh because you got oh, this okay. pinhead yeah. you know and uh, yeah. holding the box and the, and the tagline it'll tear your soul apart and 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 ooh, you know yeah. and that's 80s horror amazing incredible images brilliant posters and 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 really really poor acting and, and yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the quality of acting in horror films in the 80s wasn't great even at the time especially now is it and the other and the other great thing uh, about uh, the 80s for horror films was the uh, the voiceover guy on the trailers oh yeah uh, which which you don't get anymore but uh, you know you'd you know uh, on the VHS tapes you would get uh, coming attractions and then there'd be this guy say oh three men walked into a cabin only two came out uh you know it's just <laughs> just this dodgy very husky very deep uh, voiceover now if the if the v if the vhs cover wasn't going to entice you uh, the voiceover man was going to get yeah, you to it, would, it would be things like they went to their local asda late at night to get a mars bar they thought they'd be safe pause <laughs> dramatic was. pause they were <laughs> wrong and then there's a sudden, like loads of images where people go, ah! and it's like, yeah. ooh, ooh, I'm, 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 ooh, voiceover man sold it for me. Yeah, and he did. He must, have, he must have sold uh, a lot of uh, a lot of bad eighties horror films because, uh, yeah, I've got some good memories of uh, of being tricked. So yeah, so so why 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 Ad Lane why? Mr. Tony right. Lane, why? Yeah. Did, <laughs> why did we I'm choose personalities? <laughs> <laughs> why did we choose eighties horror of all of the genres? Because we could have gone ninety. You know, why? Why did we choose eighties? What What makes eighties special? I think. I think you know, it's the same with anything. Um, when you reach a certain age, and because we are mid forties, um, I've rounded up for both of us. <laughs> You rounded down for me, actually. You rounded down. <laughs> well, that's I got middling. It's like a, a rounding in the middle. Um, you know, when you get when you get to your mid forties, uh, you know, nostalgia is is and you know and, and memories, uh, you know, as, as they start to fade, they become <laughs> the most important thing, you know, in, in your in your in your waking life. Um, and for us, you know, especially because we're, we're such huge film fanatics. Um, you know, and horror and horror fans as well. It's just that memory of of you know the the first films that that got you excited. And you know, for both of us, it's 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 eighty it's eighties movies. You know, that's when that's when you were like for me. I was born in seventy eight, so like it was. I mean, for me, it was late eighties, and I was playing catch up. Mm. You know, in the late eighties, I was actually catching up with the Evil Dead and the. Yeah, I was going to say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I would say Texas Chainsaw Massacre too because that was that was mid eighties. Uh, you know, so it was a case of you know I had like eight eight or nine years worth of 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 truly bad and truly amazing eighty uh, eighties horror films to to just to just watch every weekend. Uh, so that, that was a huge part of my life. Uh, you're absolutely right, and you touch on um, video nasties, and it was the era of, of horror films so shocking they got yeah. banned, which means they were instantly cult hits, doesn't it? Yeah, 
And it's it's a it's, I like that you you touched upon that because uh, yeah, um, video nasties were a because it when the when the VHS started out there there was no certificate you know you could basically go to, I mean this was way before my time I was probably about three or four so this was way before my time uh, but apparently you could go to a video shop and you know all these ridiculously gory and and horrific films um, you know that was just there in the video shop. Uh, to, to, to rent. Um, so, uh, and then there's this whole big Mary Whitehouse thing, you know, taking it to uh, taking it to uh, Parliament about, you know, wanting to control basically big censorship. Uh, you know, and, and that's when the BBFC came in and, uh, you know, putting stickers on things and making sure that we couldn't see what we shouldn't be able to see. Um, so yeah, and the, the video nasty era is, is, is a very, it's a very important era because a lot of those films came out uncut, um, like in the, in the nineties and early two thousands. Um, and you can watch some of them and think, well, like, like Driller Killer, yeah. uh, you see very little in Driller Killer. Like it's just the name Driller Killer, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, if you've got a severe title, chances are you're going to get it banned. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Looking back now, when we you know post Saw and Hostel and those sort of films, you watch Evil Dead, which was a video nasty. And okay, there's the 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 unfortunate tree intimate scene, if we can say that, uh, which still feels really unnecessary and gratuitous. But but there's not actually much um, that that really is quite shocking now. Does that mean we've desensitized, or have, have we pushed barriers quite fur- a lot further? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do think that we've uh, de- in the, the the mid to late two thousands, like two thousand tens, two thousand you know fifteen onwards, a lot of films were coming out um, fully uncut um, because of all of the, the the stuff that we've had since maybe since the late nineties, early two thousand. Um, <clears throat> you, you like for example, you get you get a lot more in a fifteen rated film. You do, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes to the point where you think, "Wow, that's actually worse than than the banned eighties films." So it just shows that we've we've come so far in in our desensitization um, to the point where um, you can look back at these old films and, and and question, you know, like like why why would this upset somebody? Um, the 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 only films that I can think of that even to this day that I find upsetting. Um, are the cannibal films yes. where they actually show the the the, the, the torture um, of, of of animals um, on film? You know, which is you know uh, certain certain tribal rituals. So you know the filmmakers are just capturing you know certain certain tribal rituals and putting it on film. Uh, we we don't we're not used to seeing a, a like a pig being like having its head half cut off and then you know da, da, da. Uh, we're not used to seeing that that's that is something we will never be desensitized though, luckily um and so quite rightly uh, those those are films that i'm i'm happy if they get censored even to this day yes yeah, so that's a really good valid point so you've got films like evil dead um driller killer who which were um were branded as as video nasties because of the extreme violence they depicted um but then you've got films which which rightly were banned because of their, of their actual treatment of animals during the um, during the filming of the films, and and yeah. and you're thinking that should never have been allowed to happen. So it was kind of a Holocaust, wasn't it? It was the 
classic and was it Cannibal Redux? Uh, I want to say, is that right? Those uh, Cannibal Ferox, I don't know. Ferro yeah, you're, yes, you're thinking of Cannibal Ferox, uh, which <clears throat> and I, I believe is the one where they took the director to court. Uh, because there was such a realistic uh, uh, sequence of of a, of a woman with a pole uh, that, that had basically gone down her throat and and was hold, was holding her up into the air, um, and because nobody knew what had happened to this this actress after uh, filming had, had taken place, uh, the director was 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 taken to court uh, for for manslaughter. Yeah, um, and it took it. It took a while. To, I mean, that's that's how realistic the effect was. I mean, it, it is very, very realistic. Um, I, you know, it wasn't until the the the, 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 the court hearings that, that that she sort of was found and said, <laughs> "Why are you? What have you arrested him for? That's that's a bit bizarre." Uh, I'm here. Uh, it's just makeup. Uh, it's just effects. Uh, you know. So this. I mean, the seventies. I mean, I know we're on the 80s. The 80s was just cult and classic. But the 70s was the era that, that pushed the envelope of, of violence, of, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the, there's so many restrictions in the world uh, and it's and it's through horror uh, that we can kind of just make a movement and break free and go forward and push mm -hmm. boundaries. The 70s did that. The 80s, if anything, may maybe uh, slowed it down a little bit because, I mean, we're talking about video nasties. Well, most of the video nasties were the 70s. These mm. were the films that were made before the 80s. So uh, if anything, maybe the 80s got a little bit calmer uh, to some degree. That, that, is, that is true. Uh, and, I mean, for me, there is one film that epitomises this whole subject in terms of the, the fuss, you know, people vomiting in the cinemas, although I've never seen that. It was allegedly that was the case. And, I mean, who are these people that go and see <laughs> horror films like, Oh, that's gross. You know, I've never <laughs> ever seen that. I don't even know whether that has... But I am, of course, talking about The Exorcist. And yeah. that yeah. only got a release on, on VHS. It was at least... I'm, I'm wanting to say in, in the late 90s, it, it, it feels that was about right. That came out on a VHS and then obviously rated DVD. But that was banned for years. And I can kind of see why, actually. It's, it's a very, very uncomfortable film to watch. Yeah, I mean, The Exorcist is is still my. I, it's the only it's the only horror film that I will not watch alone, um, and you know, bec and it's and it's not because I, I believe in um, you know demonic possession now, that, which which is what the film is about. I, but I do believe in in you know in in, in in mental health struggles, and I think that that you know a lot of the a lot of the time when people. You know, if, if if they've got issues with 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 them, their own mind, you, you can let things in. You know, you can. I, I'm a huge. You know, I, I've got huge issues with my own uh, mental health issues, with anxieties and uh, and all sorts. Um, so it's I can see why. You know, if somebody was watched The Exorcist, it, it could it could severely damage them. Um, like, like, and again, not not because I think you know someone's going to watch it and, and worry that they're going to get possessed by the devil, uh, but I but I do worry that somebody might see it and you know and it might affect the you know the 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 whatever issues they they might already have uh, you know which is where we are as a society now we we understand uh, mental health problems a lot more than than say in the seventies when something like The Exorcist came out. 
No, you're absolutely right. And for me, um, I think the special effects, generally speaking, uh, hold up quite well on the Exorcist because yeah, it was largely cool. prosthetic. So, and, yeah. and the the bed shaking. I mean, that was that that ruined Linda Blair's back. Never been able to do that. Now it's like the um, yeah. the the dragging uh, girl at the opening of Jaws sequence. Yeah. Never be able to do that now when he was just physically dragged from shore to shore, and then pulled under by Spielberg. Um, but <laughs> but it's it's it, but what what chills me with The Exorcist is the subliminal cut. So you see Pazuzu's face, um, yeah. but this overwhelming sense of disquiet and evil that permeates through the whole film. Um, and and Damien's mother popping up over the subway totally freaks me out every single time. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the less is more approach. The Exorcist isn't isn't like a full on orchestral score when you're supposed to be feeling scared. They go the other way. They give you sound effects. They give you uh, you know, the, like speaking backwards in Latin. You know, it's just the like even the subway sequence with the subliminal. You've you've got the sounds of the subway. You've, it's almost like an eerie, dreamlike sequence. Um, you know, and it's 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 giving you the opposite of what you you would normally expect to get in a horror film, and that and that that is so powerful mm. because the sound effects of of of, of, of like a, a dreamlike world. I'm far more terrifying than than a full on orchestral score to say, "Hey, you should be scared now." Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, you know the, the 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 possession sequences are still quite disquieting, quite scary, quite quite. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're scary; they're quite they're quite chilling. Um, yeah. But the biggest thing that that gave me nightmares, uh, and still to this day, if I think about it, is that staircase outside. Uh, we've talked about this on the on the on our previous incarnation. Um, yeah. You see that that staircase in the light, and it's still that's still pretty kind of hefty stairs. We need to be careful going down those. See it in the dark, that's going <clears> to <throat> kill you because it's it's. I've never seen a staircase that is that sheer before. Yeah, I mean, you know what happens in the in in the in the winter in the winter months where that staircase is a little bit icy and a poor old lady with her shopping. That's the only way to get to where. Her apartment, <laughs> she's, and she's got to. I mean, she's got to put a good two hours in to get up there safely because otherwise, she's coming down just like in the film. Yeah, is it really bad that I just laughed at that? I feel slightly bad about it, but we're gonna go with it anyway. We, we can we can we can censor it and we can ban it and put it on uh, the podcast nasty list, <laughs> but yeah, so so and, and it's it's just a really great horror film um, and the way it was directed. So everybody was, was, was kind of unnerved because of the way that Blatty, not Blatty, who, oh, who directed uh, Flip Freakin? Oh, Fry, was Fry, it? Fry, 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 yeah. Fried him. Yeah. He fried yeah. his kin. <laughs> that's, that's dark. But I think well, it's really. also, Exorcist still t- touches massively on a horror trope, which, which continues to this day, um, which is the, um, the corruption of of purity, so a youngish sort of child um, being corrupted by this absolute evil, that's still a taboo, I think, in in horror films now. And obviously, uh, the Omen picks up on it as well. But yeah. but that's still something's like, no, you don't do that with children. That's just you know, that's still quite horrible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we've probably talked about this on on, pre- on previous shows, but as this is the new era. Um, I had a I had a babysitter I had a babysitter when I was um, well my my dad <laughs> no this is the thing I was <laughs> my dad 
I definitely wasn't a baby. Not, uh, so my dad worked 12-hour shifts. Um, and so uh, I guess from, yeah, from the age of 11, uh, till I, till till I fired her. Uh, I had a I had a babysitter called Kim who was obsessed by a, like set like band seventies horror films and you know and eighties horror films as well. And I remember like so this is this is the thing. So when I was ten and eleven, um, she would tell me about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She'd tell me about The Exorcist. Uh, she'd tell me about some of these other films. She goes, oh, you'll never get a chance to see them because you'd have to go to America to be able to see them. And, da, da, da. Um, and so there was this thing, this 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 um, like holy grail of, uh, of growing up and uh, of, of desperately wanting to see these films that I just wouldn't be able to see. Um, and I remember there was one time where, so maybe, maybe when I was about... 13 maybe 14 we was at a car boot uh, sale thing and there was a guy selling out of the out of the back of his car uh, copied movie copied vhs tapes of all of the films that i wanted to see <laughs> um, and you know with with the dodgy you know like black and white poorly printed replicated copy of that you know, so when it was you a when photocopy, you wasn't it? They've gone down their little sweet shop, their little corner shop, and paid five p to do a photocopy, <laughs> didn't they? Oh, they were they were horrendous, but it didn't matter because <laughs> all of a sudden this car boot had every film that I had heard about and so desperately wanted to see, and I stood there with my dad. Now this is my dad, who when we went to a video shop would get me anything. Now this is a man who didn't care what it was. He'd put it on the, the the counter and he'd go these are for my boy let him have them um we got to this car boot and i, I brought him over i said hey dad uh there's loads here can i get can i get a few of these and he looked and he saw the exorcist and went no and walked off i tell you you know and that still stays with me i i hated him so much <laughs> and i still do <laughs> you, didn't, you need to let that one go, mate. It's coming out in four games September. Did. I just did. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, You're welcome. I'm going to ring the dad in a bit and say I forgive you. See, this podcast heals people. It's it's a healing it show. It does. I haven't thought about that in years. Uh, I thought I had let it go. I hadn't, obviously. Do you think... I mean, I don't know about this. So, so I... Do you think that the notoriety caused because they were banned um, yeah. led them to being elevated a little bit higher than they should be in reality? Not a little bit, but a lot. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so I, you know, I love The Exorcist. It is an incredible film. It is, it is you know, I mean, the, again, the poster, you know, that scene yeah. when that eerie light's coming through and, and is, is lighting up uh, Father Merrin, that's a beautiful artistic kind of scene and, and, a, and a moment with the with the tubular bell score as well um the, you know we mentioned evil dead evil dead is lovingly crafted on a shoestring budget and it looks like it you know and the special effects don't age well you know the, the paper mache masks you know the guy's face melting into what looks like porridge at the end these are not scary moments what's scary though in both of those films is the over 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 um the, the it's this it's just this feeling of of, of terror 
that you don't get as much in modern films. So the bit in Evil Dead that chills me still is the bit when she's looking out the window, they're playing cards, and she's going, four of spades. And she's doing the, And then her face turns round. You know, that bit still gets me. Even allowing for the poor special effects. But it got elevated into this massive film because you were told you couldn't watch it. Therefore, you really needed to see it because someone told you you couldn't. Yeah, and you know... <clears throat> let's get this cough out of the way. And you know what's interesting is um, a lot of uh, companies in America uh, were making films and, and using the marketing strategy of... They knew that the BBFC had certain things that they was going to ban a film based upon. Now, one of those things is if you throw Massacre into the title, they don't even watch it. It's an instant ban because of the title, unless you change the name of the film, we're not letting this through. So there was there was uh, uh, distributors in America, uh, you know, they, they production companies had made a film and the distributor said, look, let's call it... Uh, you know, like for an example, uh, Slumber uh, Party Massacre. I think <laughs> they had great titles, didn't of, they? They did. Um, and put it through to the BBFC. The BBFC was like, uh, you're not having that. Um, you can have Slumber Party. <laughs> but take away the massacre, otherwise it's not coming out. Um, and so it was banned. All of a sudden, the rest of the world is like banned in the UK. Um, and all of a sudden, it's this cool, you know, cheesy, independent hit uh, the rest of the world because they're, they're jumping on the, the 80s video nasty bandwagon when in actual fact they got nothing. You know, it's like Disney could have made that film. It, there's, it's just, you know, there's nothing to it. Um, and it happened quite a few times where they was relying on the the, 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 the codes and the conducts of the, the BBFC. Because, like, what's the UK? You know, if you're making a film in America, if, if you get more notorious because you've been banned in the UK, then it's going to increase sales everywhere else. It's going to make you this cult hit. Um, and that worked for quite a few films when it, when it really shouldn't have. No, it's, it's, it, it's, so I'm just, <laughs> Googling, I'm just Googling some, some terrible horror f- titles. Um, yeah. Zombie nightmare. <laughs> um, I mean, that's not a pretty, silent night, deadly night three. You know, it's just, oh. Um, yeah. uh, this t- touch of death. Blood Lake. Blood Lake, yeah. I, I keep seeing the post for Blood Lake. Um, now, the poster is brilliant. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very reminiscent of, of Jaws, but, you know, obviously just on a beach. Um, and it makes you want to see it. Now, I, I watched the trailer, because there is a trailer on YouTube, and it looks like uh, an absolute snooze fest. There's nothing that that's it. There's nothing menacing in it um, at all. Uh, so again, do not be tricked. By no, the post. so you, you really have to pick. You have to really pick the, the, the. And there is a lot of rubbish out there that came out in the eighties. I guess it's the same nowadays, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah. there's some classics. So so we've we've touched on The Exorcist. We need to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street because and and Friday the Thirteenth because they're guess Halloween as well but Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th for me if someone says 80s horror they're the two franchises I think of massive yeah. franchises and, yeah. and and they changed the trajectory of where horror went in the 80s 
So yeah, they, for me, the reason why we talk about 80s horror and why this first podcast is about 80s horror is because it. For, I don't know whether it's because I, I, I was born in that era, but for me, looking back in the, in the films of the history, uh, you've got Hammer, obviously, earlier, and that was important as well. But 80s, um, the 80s horror films lifted it to an entirely different level in terms of the level of gore and, and, yeah. and, and what they were able to do, what they were capable of doing. Um, and Nightmare on Elm Street, the first film, I mean, they get worse, don't they? I, I, I kind of think the first three are, are really good. And then after that, <laughs> let's not talk about Freddy's Dead because, whoa. But the first one, that is, it's a clever story, really yeah. iconic villain, brilliantly shot. Wes Craven <laughs> at, at his best early on. Yeah, I think I think um, you know, like especially towards the mid the mid eighties, um, there there was a there was a thing about having um, horror villains, you know, be be your central character. Uh, I mean, Halloween Halloween did it in the late seventies and and in the early eighties they kind of carried that on. You know, you got your Friday the Thirteenth, where but it wasn't until what part three where you actually got. Um, uh, uh, Jason with his mask, and, and all of a sudden it became Jason. Um, you know, so by the mid '80s, and you know, '84 was for Freddy Krueger. So by the mid '80s, you had three franchises uh, battling it out uh, for your for your young uh, horror audience um, for the ticket sales. Um, so by the mid '80s, yeah, this this was this was probably the best time to be a horror fan when you'd got Freddy. You got Jason, you got Michael Myers, um, all battling it out to get you in their seats. Yeah, and, and it was that, and 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 the voiceover man had his, had his kind of like, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just the voiceovers were were, were insane. Weren't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. And but but for me, um, if I had to choose between Freddy or Jason uh, as as my favourite kind of eighties. Um, horror iconic villain it's Freddy every time because he invades a space which is supposed to be safe whatever's going on in your life um, even your nightmares aren't supposed to kill you you know you wake up in a cold sweat or whatever but but you get over it you know this is a guy who can go into your dreams and you aren't waking up that's terrifying yeah I would say Nightmare on Elm Street is your is your smarter of the three this you know is uh, Although you know, smart smart kind of goes out the window by three ohms. Um, although uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare brings the smart back because it's a it's a preview before screen. Um, but then you know, I don't know. I and Halloween to some degree, you know, is is slightly smarter than than the, the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Um, but for me. My guilty pleasure is, uh, you know, if I was to choose one franchise that I was going to do a, you know, a marathon run of, I, it would it would be the, uh, the it would be the the Jason uh, uh, franchise. I would I, that's the one I would be most excited about. And I think growing up, that was the one that I probably watched the most. Uh, and again, to this day, it still stands as as the, as the one that I would be most excited putting on. Yeah, no, no, no. You're absolutely right, but but I can't think of many 
iconic villains uh, after after the eighties. I mean, you've got you've got uh, you've got Ghostface for the for Scream. So yeah. that's kind of the only one I can really think of that that is as influential and on par with these great eighties villains. The other thing that, um, that that Freddie had over Jason, apart from he actually did have a voice, um, was he had a wicked sense of humour. <laughs> He did, he did in the TV series. And I don't know if you ever saw that bit. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that on, 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 on my worst enemy. Uh, like, there is, no, there is no good qualities about uh, the TV series. Although, that being said, at least Freddy's in it. Uh, the Friday the 13th TV series had absolutely nothing to do with Friday the 13th franchise at all. Just as name only. It was just, it was like Twilight Zone, wasn't it? With with, with Freddie doing an intro. <laughs> yeah, it, you can catch that oh, on yeah. Horror Channel sometimes, but it's, it's on during the day. It's so so unscary. Horror Channel show it during the day. I know, I know, I know. It's it's got its PG rating, hasn't it? So yeah. But but I mean, Jason Jason is iconic. Um, they all and, are. Yeah, they are, and 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 the. You know the the, the soundtrack yeah. is 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 brilliant. Um, Friday the Thirteenth is memorable for me because at least I mean the kids. Wes Craven did make a half attempt to make the, his his ca- characters relatable before he chopped them into bits. Um, there is no attempt to make the kids likable in Friday the Thirteenth. And why are they so orange? They, they were so orange. It was like there was a makeup. I don't know, but they looked like they were kind of drinking too much sun kiss. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So Jason's only going to kill the kids that have been tangoed. He's like, yeah, they have been <laughs> you've been jasoned. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the notable kill from the from the fir- uh, first film is um, Kevin Bacon getting an arrow through his neck. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the only thing that I don't like about the the, the Friday the Thirteenth franchise as a whole is is how it didn't start with Killer Jason with the mask. Um, you know, like you've you've got you've got the first you've got the first film. Jason's not even in it. No, uh, it's his mom. Sorry for the spoiler alert, but you you've had decades to get that film watched. Yeah, if you don't um, know that now, then quite frankly, what are you <laughs> listening to this show for? <laughs> well, ho- hopefully, we'll we'll you know some some people be you know quite you know quite young and be like, wow, I haven't heard of any of these films. I want to I want to explore this. Uh, so hopefully, we can we can do that with some people. Uh, but yeah, the first film didn't even have Jason. Second film, I think he had a a potato sack over his head. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you should be should be drinking whilst we're laughing. <laughs> yeah, that potato sack um, wasn't scary, was it? No, not not at all. He put a couple of holes in so he could see if he was <laughs> He'd be rubbish and, if he put the holes in. Bump, Jason keeps bumping into trees. <laughs> Tripping over. <laughs> I mean, he walks slow anyway, probably because of his arthritis. He's Tripping walking over slow it. anyway. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I mean, you know, the fact that he'd been in the lake for twenty years uh, didn't. Uh, I mean, this is the thing. He he he's supernatural. Uh, you know that Halloween is supernatural. Uh, Jason is supernatural. The the supernatural element is is genius. I mean, you know, you can blow you can blow these guys up. Uh, you can drown them, keep them under the water. They'll come back. The, the best thing is the the supernatural element with uh, both 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 Jason and 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 Michael. Uh, Freddie, now like he's 
I don't, I don't even know what Freddy is. What is Freddy? He's part of the dream world. What is he, Freddy? So, is he... he was, is he the um, devil? No, what he is was, he? Well, the new, new, um, the new Nightmare covers this, doesn't he? So, he was a, a child molester, wasn't he? He was then killed mm. by the families, which is why he haunts Hel Elm Street. And then he made a pact with some sort of dubious, badly special effect sort of spritey thing. It was a weird sort of worm thing, wasn't it? Um, which gave him kind of... <laughs> Um, sort of et eternal life to go wandering around killing people in revenge. Now I've said that out loud. That sounds rubbish, doesn't it? <laughs> I I'm I'm actually more confused after you have spelled <laughs> it out to me. It's best we uh, don't know. <laughs> but he's part of this weird multiverse dream world-like place, uh, which I guess I guess nowadays because we've got so many multiverses, you know, in our TV shows and films. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street is a little bit more plausible. Uh, True, it was ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you mentioned about um, uh, Mrs. Voorhees being the killer in the first yeah. Friday the 13th. Obviously, that fact got Drew Barrymore killed in Scream. Um, <laughs> so if people don't know that, they haven't watched Scream either because that's what got her kind of uh, gutted in the opening of Scream. But I have to say... I, you know, I know, I, I know. We've we've covered a lot of seventies, and we're probably even covering a bit of nineties now. But I, I absolutely love Scream when mm. it came out. I saw it at the cinema, uh, you know, the, the first weekend it came out. And I just, and I, if you are a hot, like a huge horror fan, especially mm. the eighties, like me and me and Daniel is watching Scream and Scream being so smartly written mm. uh, by by Kevin Williamson. Uh, it just touches upon every single thing that we love about the 80s horror and also all of the things that we hate about 80s horror. Yeah, and it takes and pokes fun at them. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It does in, in such a smart way that it's not mocking. It's not a spoof. This isn't a scary movie. This is this is still a very smart uh, look at, you know, like like acknowledging you know like you should be running out the door not running up the stairs these are all th <laughs> these are all yeah. things that don't you're have watching sex. Oh, what are you doing don't have sex don't take drugs drugs and never ever say i'll be right back and they do all yeah, yes it just, don't have fun in any way or form and you will live through a horror film yeah so <laughs> so you've got these franchises but you've got incredible one-off films as well so the shining um uh, which is kind of, I don't think it's two films, it's not really a franchise, is it? But you've got The Shining. Um, I, do we call Gremlins a horror film? It kind of is. It's quite nasty and that's dark, a, but it's a horror comedy. It's, it? it's, yeah, it's, it's so tricky when you get, I mean, it's ghoulies. Ghoulies. It's ghoulies. It's ghoulies a horror. No. It's not scary, uh, is it? No. I mean, films like that, it, it's got to be comedy horror with comedy first, I would have thought. No, I, I would agree, but but the, but the Shining. Um, but then actually, I I wonder, is Supernatural? Yes, it's technically a horror film, but the thing that makes mm. The Shining horrific isn't the supernatural. It's it's Nicholson's chilling portrayal of a guy with demons, human demons, yeah. Um, yeah. and 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 a a rabid alcohol problem, uh, and then he takes a job in a hotel in the middle of nowhere. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I think you've got two, uh, two, I suppose three. You've got you've got three major uh, types of of horror in the eighties. You've you've got your, you know, like The Shining, which is very sinister and it's very serious and it's very moody. Uh, the acting's intense. You've got those you've got those types of horror films, and there wasn't that many of them. 
because those aren't the sort of films that, that are going to get uh, lots of teenagers, you know, in the cinema seats. Um, but then you've got cheesy 80s, you know, gore fest films, you know, like The Evil Dead and things. We don't take it so seriously. It doesn't matter if the acting's a bit poor. Um, those are the films that, you know, the voiceover man is going to absolutely love to be able to get you to go and see at the cinema. And those are the hits. And then your third one, the comedy horrors. You've got your gremlins, your ghoulies, uh, you know, the, the burbs, which it's very, very little horror in the burbs, but it's still plastic comedy horror. Um, but so you've got your three different types. Um, and I can see, I can see why. Uh, you wouldn't get as many shinings uh, through the through the eighties because uh, it just you know unless you're Kubrick and, and and you know and a passion project is to make that sort of film, uh, the studios aren't going to care. They're, no. they're going to want as much money as they possibly can, and they're going to go for oh we want another Evil Dead type film. We want you know we want another Texas Chainsaw Massacre type. We want to get these teenagers and the early twenties into the seats, paying money, buying popcorn. Um, the Shining and films like that, Shining 2001, Kubrick knew that he wasn't a, you know, a, uh, a blockbuster maker, but he just made the films that he wanted to make. He stayed true to his vision. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, also, I, I think that um, you could argue that 80s was the birth of the zombie as well, couldn't you, really? Um in terms of kind of the number of zombie films were coming out, and the, so you've got obviously the Romero franchise, um, and and then you've got um, uh, Return of the Living Dead, that that franchise, which was slightly more comedic, but still yeah. quite horror horrific. Um, and and I I got really obsessed with kind of the undead, not in a bad way. Oh, and, and Reanimator as well. Um, of course, yeah. Oh, it's great, isn't it? A Lovecraft craft classic. But but you've got this this new kind of oh and and um, uh, what's the one that's on the island uh, zombie flesh eaters yeah that was seventies oh seventies yeah of course it was seventies so I guess it did start in the in the, in the seventies so the, the beyond are we calling that a horror uh, zombie film it kind of is isn't it yeah nightmarish uh, surrealist but you know what you've got I mean you're right that the the the, the when, when Romero did his, his, his Dawn of the Dead in 78, um, and I think Zombie Flesh Eaters, which was classed in Italy as Zombie 2, um, um, no, Dawn of the Dead 2 or Zombie 2, um, and that was 79. So the late 70s was the era when all of a sudden we'd got some new zombie films, and the Italians jumped on that. And they made a ridiculous amount of zombie films. Um, so that like the late seventies and the early eighties, it was it was all out zombie warfare. Um, and then I think by the mid eighties, like you say, you got your Reanimator. Um, you've got uh, I mean, you got Day of the Dead. Uh, you got Return of the Living Dead. So all of a sudden, in mid eighties, there was this thing of. The, the zombie genre is huge. There's a lot of people going to see these Italian zombie films uh, that, that, that are doing so well. Uh, and so the studio started tapping into that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's why by the mid-'80s uh, it was inundated. Yeah, with, so, so you're right. And thank you for critics. I always forget that because they feel 80s. 
But that, I know, I know. It does feel like the it's all part of the early eighties, but yeah, just just slightly off. Yeah, but but by the by the mid eighties, late eighties, you couldn't move for zombies. No, and you know, there's a there's a there's another interesting story as well. Um, uh, there's a, an independent filmmaker called uh, J.R. Bookwalter. Uh, I'm not sure Great if you name. ever heard. Of it. Yeah, I know. It's it's the best uh, best filmmaker name ever. Um, and um, when uh, Sam Raimi was making Evil Dead Two, uh, this this uh, this young, uh, I guess he was like uh, early twenties maybe, uh, came straight out of film school and approached Sam Raimi and said, "Hey, I've got this idea for an independent zombie." movie uh called the dead next door um and uh so sam raimi was making uh evil dead 2 and he gave um a part of his paycheck to jr bookwalter and said hey here's i don't know so many tens of thousands of dollars uh, go make your film um uh, you know and it's for him to be a, a executive producer of it and the reason it exists um, and uh, Bruce Campbell even, I think, uh, did a little bit of uh, voiceover narration at some point. So there was still a Bruce Campbell connection there. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the Dead Next Door didn't, you know, didn't do too well critically or even fan basically. It was, it was, um, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't do, it didn't do too well. Um, and uh, so it's it's one of those situations where. The opportunity was there for a, a cult, huge cult classic hit, and it, it didn't happen. You know, so the Dead Next Door is one of those one of those underground hits. Not hits. Why do I say hits? One, one of those underground films that uh, nobody really knows about, um, but it actually has quite a good uh, history behind it and how it was made, and you know the fact that. J.R. Bookwalter, straight out of film school. And he, he, he even spent like three or four years uh, working on it, getting it made, getting it out there. Um, I've got a feeling he started in 85 and mm. it got released in 89. So it's still there in the, you know, the 80s VHS market. But it just, it just, yeah, it, well, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly well made. So it didn't, it didn't do too great. So it's, well, that's yeah, a if, you... if you want a cheesy, cheesy 80s zombie horror. No, true, and, and there are plenty out there, and there's a resurgence of them. So I'm quite excited about that. That Nightbreed is finally getting the director's cut and the original theatrical cut, and they're coming out in 4K. Because the fans have been after that for for years, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's a bit of uproar because what seems to be happening quite a lot at the moment is you get these boutique labels uh, putting these these old classic 4Ks out. Um, but they're only putting out the theatrical versions, and the fans have had the the director's cut for years. And it's the director's cut which you know a lot of the fans, and certainly a lot of these 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 old eighties films, it's it's the director's cuts that the people want to see, and, and those are the ones we want to see in in four K. Um, I mean, Life Force uh, is is one of my favourite Toby Hooper. Absolutely crazy space vampire movies you'll ever see, um, and and that was put out in 4K, but only the theatrical version. So the director's cut, you've still got to watch it in Blu-ray, um, and that is happening a lot. So yeah, uh, that's going to be happening, I guess, with most with most films because they don't have 
they don't have the uh, the, the, the the film elements uh, to be able to do a proper 4K. So that's the uh, that's the shame about it. Yeah, and and you've got to have the kind of base material to be able to do that. But but there is a there is a massive market for um for for kind of retro eighties and yeah. and you know we're enthusing about the good and the bad. Uh, Killer Clowns in Outer Space kind of hoves into view. Critters, which was a, ri- a rip off of Gremlins, but is great in its own right. Yeah. Um, but there was an awful lot of rubbish as well. But don't you find, though, that sometimes, uh, you know, late at night, you're not in the mood for a Shining or The Exorcist or something that's been really well made. Sometimes. You just want to put something cheesy on, uh, maybe something that will help you fall asleep better. Because if you put The Shining on, <laughs> you're, you're fully alert, you're awake, and you're thinking. Um, sometimes you don't want that. Sometimes you want to put uh, Army of Darkness on or, you know, uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes or, you know, something <laughs> something so dodgy that you'd be like, ah, oh, I, I think I'm going to choose sleep over this. The Screaming Forehead. <laughs> Is that real? Yeah. Microwave massacre. <laughs> yeah, or or, um, or maniac cop with Bruce Campbell. Do you want to know my um, uh, my biggest letdown from an eighties horror? Like I can name you one straight off the top of my head. Do do tell. Okay, uh, have you heard of a film uh, called April Fool's Day? Yes. So it's it's basically a, a Friday the 13th knockoff. And it's done very well. Characters that you care about, uh, they're jovial, uh, there's, there's a few jokers in there, it's hilarious. Uh, it's very well made. Mm. Um, and, it's, and it's good competition for the Friday the 13th franchise. However, the twist at the end... Is it's all an April Fools? Uh, so they've done a Bobby in the shower from Dallas, haven't they? Yeah. So you you get to the end and you're like, so nobody's dead. So that's just not right. And you just you just you just. I mean, I, I've I've never been able to watch that film again because of that. I mean, it is the it's this it's knowing the sixth sense ending. It's that kind of thing where you know you don't. You, I know the I know the twist. Why do I want to go and watch that film again? Um, so yeah, biggest letdown for me uh, was. So what was that, 1986? At the absolute height of, of 80s uh, classic cult horror. It, it, it is disappointing, and you need actual death. You can't be kind of like, well, they're not dead, they're alive. You know, well, it's not a horror film then, it's just some delusional yeah. trip. But, yeah, so so it is it is a tremendous decade for films that that changed the trajectory of where horror was going and we wouldn't get have scream now we wouldn't have the saw front all the films that 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 are now really really popular we wouldn't have those if the 80s hadn't made the jumps that they'd made and crashed against barriers and smashed through video nasty boundaries and really pushed things to allow the 90s the noughties and so forth to to kind of push the boundaries further further and that's why I'm a horror fan because horror is is probably one of the only genres left where directors are allowed to kind of challenge taboo and and push envelopes and 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 kind of push back at, at regulations which they want to say no I want to make this film and I want to do this I want to see someone's eye gouged out 
and 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 only by the while they're continuing to push those barriers are they are they kind of serving the genre of horror and the other great thing about the 80s is they um they they wanted to push maybe not necessarily just sequels i mean we had the texas chainsaw massacre too you know and that started the turning it into a franchise and then you obviously had the the friday the 13th which became a franchise uh but we also had the fly now oh, the fly, the fly was, was you know cronenberg's uh, version of introducing his own body horror um just his the visual style that he had of, of just oh, just disgusting ways of of the of the human body deteriorating it before your eyes um, you know, and so what? That's from the from the late fifties version of the Fly, all of us, which you know is PG rated, uh, and then you've got this eighteen rated um, reboot of it, um, which is is very, is, you know, you've got to be in the mood for that because it is a very, you know, it's a very grotesque uh, film, um, and then you know you've got John Carpenter with his The Thing, which again you've got the PG. Uh, PG-rated uh, 1950s version of that. Um, so there was this thing going on in the 80s where they was looking at things made in the 50s that was terrifying audiences at one point that doesn't now. Um, and how do we better that? How do we gore that out? How do we make it so, you know, like into, into the 80s and, and more fitting? Um, and so the 80s gave us uh, a lot more body horror horror films. Which brings um, us on nicely to Cronenberg, because we can't do an 80s show without Cronenberg, can we? Yeah, we have to mention Carpenter and Cronenberg. They are the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Carpenter's kind of uh, career at the beginning um, are basically the go-to 80s horror films. And Cronenberg yeah. for body horror. So Rabid. Wow. Uh, some, of these, some of these are 70s, late 70s, aren't they, though? Yeah, the mid-70s to late 70s, you've got Shivers, you've got Rabid. Uh, you've got The Brood, which was 81, uh, Oliver Reed, uh, which was a menacing. It was mm. a horrible little film. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, Cronenberg was... He, yeah, he was he was a master of horror. Uh, probably more of a master of, 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 of the grotesque horror. But Videodrome is a powerful film because, yeah. like, um, uh, oh, I've just forgotten the film. This happens every every time we do a show. There's some moment where I suddenly forget something really, really obvious. Have you got uh, any clues in your head? That you no, I've got it. Play? I've got it. So Videodrome uh, is very similar to They Live, Carpenter's They Live, in its in its yeah. counter materialistic message and yeah. and 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 kind of. But Videodrome takes it a step further in terms of the body horror. And, and yeah. the new flesh, and isn't James Wood yeah. brilliant in it? Yeah, yeah. Videodrome is definitely the, the 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 more serious side of it. Whereas they live, I mean, who puts in a ten minute fight sequence uh, ever? I mean, who's I got the balls to 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 do that? To to say to two? I mean, basically two wrestlers. I mean, which is not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> They Thinking weren't about actors, them. were they? They weren't actors. <laughs> no. They weren't actors in the past. <laughs> but, you know, it must have been, you know, a, a no-brainer to say to two, two, two wrestlers, hey, can you can you do a fight scene for 10 minutes? Um, I mean, Rowdy Piper, at this, at this point in his career, you know, his wrestling career, he, he'd done some incredible, uh, like, brawly, you know, fighty, you know, not not so much wrestling, but just you know, like a full on brawling. 
um, you know, which is what he became known for towards the end of his uh, WWF career. So by the time, you know, I guess it was like about 87, 86, 87, when they was making uh, They Live, um, it was at a point where you could say to two wrestlers, hey, could you do a fight sequence for 10 minutes? Um, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's uninteresting. You know, it's you get to one, two minutes, uh, and you think, okay, I've, I've seen, a, it's been a good fight. And then you get another eight minutes. And now I don't know if they're just trying to fill up time because of the budget, <laughs> but it goes on a little too long. And it's, it's probably the most remembered film for an unnecessary fight sequence. But very slapstick video drive. Yeah, unfortunately, no, it, it, it really is. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but but and 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 also, you know, this being a soundtrack show, the '80s soundtracks, glorious synth, you know, the Keep horror film yeah. uh, soundtracked by yeah. the Almighty, um, the the Incredible, and the band that I've totally Tangerine Dream. Yes, that's it. Just got it in time. Tangerine Dream, incredible soundtrack. Film makes no sense, but Tangerine Dream soundtrack's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I want to watch the keep now. It's, it's, it's one of those. It's one of those rare films, isn't it? Where um, the history behind the keep is that they, that the, the studio looked at uh, Michael Mann's edit and said, "This is boring." Um, I don't know. He must have put in like a, maybe a two-hour something version. Um, they watched it and said, "We can't put this out," um, and so they they re-edited it, or, or should I say, they butchered it. You cut out anything that, that told a story. It doesn't make um, any sense. So when you watch it now, it makes no sense. I mean, if anything, it makes even less sense than you think it's making no sense. It makes absolutely none at all. And you're watching it, but you're loving it. And you don't know why you're loving it, because it's not making any sense. And then the music is helping push that along. It's like you've almost got a voiceover man in the room saying, you're going to love this film. And it's just like there's something about it. And I can't get my head around it. I mean, Michael Mann has disowned it and has mm. said that nobody will ever see a decent copy of the film as long as I shall live, um, you know, which is why we'll never see a 4K version of it. Because it's, it's, he's been hurt too, too badly by it. He doesn't even want uh, an original version, you know, his original director's cut. He doesn't care about it. He doesn't, he doesn't, want, he doesn't want to be known for the keep. Um, but me and Daniel... We, we are the, two of the Keep's biggest fans, and we don't know why. And that is the magic of, 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 of maybe the synth, I don't know. The, 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 the music behind it is certainly a driving force for loving the Keep. Yeah, and, and, and Ian, Ian, Ian McKellen, who, who's brilliant in it, can't make it make any more sense. No. I don't know if I would like the Keep... Uh, uh, at all if i actually saw the 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 very well made and produced uh director's cut uh the two-hour version i think it the studio might have been absolute unknown geniuses <laughs> at the time um because i i've got a feeling that had that film come out as as a michael mann proper production it wouldn't have the same effect it wouldn't be as cult as it is today See, and, and, and for me, not exactly being Michael Mann's greatest fan, um, the fact that he hates it, <laughs> the fact that he hates it and disowns it makes me like it more. If I ever met him, I would put a very strong argument before he punched me in the face for why The Keep is his greatest film ever. 
Yeah. And then they'd probably have to run away really quickly. He would not. Yeah, no. He he put he definitely punch you. Definitely punch you. We we are also. Uh, I'm just trying to mop up in the last sort of 22 minutes because believe it or not, we've done an hour and 12. So this, if if anything, proves to us that we can actually talk for an hour and a half. Whether it's entertaining, but then you see the reason we do this show and the reason we did the decomposing show on the radio isn't for for the numbers. We do it because we love it. You know, it's great yeah. if people share that. That's fantastic. And I know we're not the only geeks out there who, who like this sort of thing. But we do it because we like kind of talking on camera um, or, or an audio um, about about this sort of sort of weird nerdish fantasy that we've got about kind of bad films that they're good. We should do a show on a film films that are so bad they're good, not just horror. I, I I mean, I know we're probably just talking out loud here during a show, but I kind of like the the... the just the the freedom that we've got of just you know chatting about 70s 80s 90s horror just just being able to go back and forth and maybe, maybe people would enjoy that more than anything and what? and we just throw things in as and when we feel it maybe that's the key and if you've got to an hour and 30 minutes and you haven't worked out that this isn't scripted then yes ladies and gentlemen <laughs> it's not scripted <laughs> Well, considering considering we we said, oh, this is going to be an eighties show, and and the first ten fifteen minutes is talking about seventies films, so this just shows that we <laughs> that I we think, are not stupid. I think my definition of what I call an eighties film, rightly or wrongly, um, is is films that I watched in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, because I'd always, I'd always, until I couldn't, and I couldn't be bothered to do any research or, or look at IMDb or anything sensible like that, like a professional would. So I'd always assumed that the Dawn of the Dead, um, Night of the Living Dead, were early eighties because I've not done my research. But that's when, that's when I watched them. Um, well, I, I, it, it, yeah, yeah, I think, and it's very easy to think that that, that, that a lot of uh, late seventies films. Uh, could possibly be a early 80s because they've kind of got i mean this is the thing that the late 70s and the early 80s they they all still have the same kind of 70s look even the early 80s do um yeah. you know like even Ted could be late 70s because of the way that you know the the the, the bruce campbell's uh, 70s hair do is still is, is phantasm now if you tell me that the first phantasm was was 80s uh 79 gonna... <laughs> 79 <laughs> Yeah, but you get this crossover, don't you? You do get this crossover. So, so early, uh, late seventies, early eighties, yeah. um, music yeah. sounds the same because it takes a while yeah. to, to transition and change. So you do get that with horror films. I call I class the Phantasm franchise as, as an eighties franchise because it came out in seventy nine, but it feels yeah. like an eighties film or an eighties franchise. And and yeah, the Tall Man, what a, what a villain! You play a good game, kid boy. Now you die. <laughs> I, I, yeah, for me, the fa- the first Phantasm film is you know it's 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 you know it's like Peter Jackson making Bad Taste. Oh, um, Bad Taste! What a good film. Bad, bad Taste. Uh, Don Coscarelli, uh, you know, and his Phantasm. Uh, you know, it's 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 you know young filmmakers giving it a go with with uh, you know sixteen millimeter film. Uh, uh, reels um, and and just you know trying their best to to do something that might be worthy of a distribution you know Sam Raimi and his Evil Dead you know there's certain types of films when they make the first one there's a novelty about them being uh, rough and you know maybe slightly poorly acted um, you know the, the the music isn't maybe as good as maybe a studio sequel you know this is the thing the the, the first films 
in, in many ways, the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm. is brilliant and way better than the studio's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Because Phantasm it's gritty 1. and raw. Gritty and exactly. raw. Almost unfinished. Phantasm 1. Better than Phantasm 2, which was yeah. a studio. It feels like a pre-master sort of pre... Doesn't it? It feels like a rush. Yeah. yeah. And when it comes to horror, the grit and the grime and the, and the you know, the, the atmosphere, you can't get that from a well-produced studio film. You, which is why pa uh, Paranormal Activity have tried their best to recreate that that uh, you know that less is more from the first one, and they've tried their best to, to keep that same pattern alive, even though they're putting four, five, eight million into the to the films. They're still trying to keep that formula. Um, but in the eighties, when a studio came in and they took over the Phantasm, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, they put the money in and they made it these big budget productions. It doesn't feel the same. Um, and that's why I love uh, filmmakers' first films. Yeah, and, and, and films like Basket Case and, and, and just have a nasty aspect. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 I'm, and, I, and I, for me, those films are, are more affecting and, and, and more, uh, more, more accomplished as horror than something like Poltergeist, which, which is seen as this this huge film and yes it is a huge film um but it's it's to me you you're absolutely right it's it's still a little bit too polished too cinematic yeah exactly and and also too, too cinematic and scary too stupid because where do you not build a, a an estate of houses if you're going to build a new estate of houses on an Indian burial grave or on a gravesite or anything else like that these people learn, learn nothing do they and 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 what, what are zombie films? This is the big flaw with zombie films, isn't it? None of them have ever seen a zombie film. So if you're making a zombie film in the eighties and your characters are making the same mistakes as everybody else in other zombie films, watch someone else's zombie film and do something different, please, because you're an idiot. If you get killed in a zombie film, you're not been paying attention, have you? We have to give an honourable mention to the uh, rawest, grittiest, nastiest. 80s film ever produced. We've mentioned it before, uh, and that is 1981, Sam Neill's Possession. We have Absolutely. to. Absolutely. There is, there is, is no way we can do a, a, a first episode, uh, you know, covering 80s horror, and, and we don't mention this, this, this horrible gem of a movie. It's got no right of working. It, it, it has no business working in today's kind of CGI green screen obsessed world. But what yeah. makes Possession the most effective kind of low budget horror film and, and, and yeah. hardly anybody. I mean, Sam Neill will talk about it, but he's obviously not particularly proud of it, apart from its indie roots, is the gritty nature of the acting, the domestic abuses as, as a marriage falls apart. Um, and the weirdest, worst um, special effect um, demon you've ever seen in your life. And when it gets to that bit and you see this thing on the bed with her, and, and you just think, <laughs> I laugh. It's like, what is that? It's, it's bizarre. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of The Keep in yeah. so many ways. <laughs> now, The Keep, obviously, you know, it's been butchered and it's... it's it, you don't even know what's really going on. Possession kind of reminds... It has all of the same qualities of the keep um, because you don't know what's going on most of the time. And no. you get little 
you get little bits here and there and you think, okay, I think I understand. No, no, I don't understand at all. Um, but it keeps, it keeps you going, right, the way through it. And it's, um, now this isn't a nostalgia film for me because I, I only experienced it maybe, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago. Like we it, both had to import I, I, it, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you, did you see it because I saw it and said, you've got to see this? Uh, is that we, how you saw it? No, I think we saw that independently because I'd, I'd read a review about it and Sam Neill had uh, talked about it or someone had talked about it and I thought, well, that's that sounds saw, good. Yeah. And I had to import yeah. it from America. So we, so it was the same article that we that we both, yeah. So I think we saw it at the same time then because we yeah, both we read the same it, article. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Um, yeah, I had to import mine in because it wasn't available over here at the time. Um, and it was just one of, those, one of those things where how have I not heard of a film called Possession, um, you know, I like to think I'm fairly clued up on on you know on, on 80s, in fact all all culty type films, but I had never heard of this film, and um, I, I've got a feeling that it was one of the banned films for for many years, and it's only just recently uh, actually available uncut, and you know you get it on DVD and Blu-ray. So I think you know as as times have changed, Possession is a uh, you know, it's, it's wildly uh, available over here, but before it was, you could only import it in, like me and Daniel did. Um, but it's a nasty, it's a nasty piece of work. It really is. It is um, horrible. The actress went through. Um, it just, you know, no actress should 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 go to that. It's Shelley Duvall level of of, of intense acting, except she she goes even further. It is, it is, and and it's 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 Sam Neill acting uh, um, uh, uh, with this this man who's seeing his marriage evaporate has no idea why, and it's it's their arguments, their explosive, violent arguments that are are really really difficult to watch. So yeah, absolutely, um, I'm glad it's more wi- widely available now, but I would like to see that in 4K. I, I say I'd like to, I'd like to own it in 4K and watch it once. Watch it once and uh, say that we, yeah. Now, I think I've got one more viewing of it. In, uh, it's not I've a pleasant watch, but it's, isn't horror supposed to be like that? If horror's a pleasure, pleasurable watch, you just think, you know, like Cabin in the Woods last night. I love it. Does it scare yeah. me? No, doesn't scare no. me. But no. but horror should actually well, kind of make. <laughs> there so you go. if I had an honourable mention, um, it would be to the Richard E. Grant um, starring incredible, wonderful film uh, that is Warlock. Yes. Because yes, now I don't know what you'd call that. It's a horror film, is it though? Yeah, it's, it's time travel. It's it's got comedy moments, black comedy humor. Um, yes, it's it's horror because of the warlock. Like it's 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 kind of a bit of a Highlander, you know? Like what is High Highlander? Look at the it's cover as well. Movie. I love the cover. It's pr- oh yeah, it's a br- it's a brilliant cover, and Julian Sands is a, is amazing in it. Yeah. So. I'm still upset about Julian Sands still being missing as well. Uh, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think he's coming back, is he? No, it, it I, now. no that that upsets me because Julian Sands yeah. was, is, I don't know where we do now, uh, an incredible actor, and and yeah. I don't want to actually, I don't want to do a tribute show until no. we've got the Wikipedia yeah. changed from is to was, but yeah, yeah that upset me. Um, but he went out doing what he loves, so you know. I mean, yeah. If they not found him now, you know they're probably never going to find him in that condition, in those conditions. But he is he is incredible in Warlock, and and Richard E. Grant, very out of type for him. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant eighties horror film. 
uh, fantasy horror. It, it's billed as horror fantasy. You don't, you don't, you don't yeah. fully know yourself, do no. you? <laughs> no, I, I class it as horror, but it is also yeah. uh, it is also horror fantasy. It's a bit of everything, isn't it? Yeah, but it's just oh, it's just brilliant. You know the salt marshes at the end. You know <laughs> where they're trying to kill him, and he's like in the salt marshes. Yeah. Who built a church on salt marshes? That's stupid as well, isn't it? <laughs> if, uh, if if every horror film was smart, yeah. we'd have very few horror films. And and but but they the eighties had such a wonderful kind of a wonderful head of steam to 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 kind of take up from. So you've got the the tremendous heyday of Italian horror. So um, you know off the back of Suspiria, um, off the back of um, the Church. I think that was eighties, wasn't it? But but Demons yeah. one and two came out in the eighties. Then the Beyond in the seventies, and 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 Fulci, and all these incredible horror maestros. And the eighties were just taking that with be slightly better effects, a little bit of a bigger budget, and just taking it into a, into a different era. And I'm and I'm really proud of being an eighties horror fan because yeah. there was guts to it. If you pardon the expression, there was literal guts. But <laughs> but there was. There was so much fun to be had from these films which had never been seen before on big screens. And and the video nasties, you know, that's what you say to your son was the video nasty. What's the video, firstly? What's the video nasty? <laughs> and you don't get this this thing of, 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 of diligently trying to find all the gory moments in this thing because you had to kind of like um, fast forward. You went fast forward too much. You won't run the tape out. The four key moments of gore in the thing, and you bookmarked them, so you kind of indented and ruined the tape so you could go back to them and watch them again. But but for, for me, the 80s is about loving uh, crafted practical effects that, that, that take hours, if not days, to, to put together and then execute um, with, with very limited budget. There's 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 artistry there that that's, that's far better than anything green screen can throw at you. I think that's uh, that's exactly it. The the eighties, uh, the the it's the it's the decade of the practical effects. Uh, maybe maybe not so much at the very beginning of the eighties, but definitely by the mid eighties. Um, you know, you can see a huge difference uh, between nineteen seventy eights. Dawn of the Dead and uh, 1985's Day of the Dead, of which all of a sudden, you know, Tom Savini is 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 is, is competing against the the practical effects of, uh, of the film Return Return of the Living Dead again, practical effects. Mm. Um, you know, so by the mid 80s, if anything, by the mid 80s to the late 80s, it was it was, you know, you you would judge a a cult 80s horror by how good was the practical effects in it? I mean, although saying that, the thing was what eighty eighty two. Mm. Um, so look how amazing the thing was. So um, you that know, the still thing, looks good. It it does. It it really does. And you know, so you could say that the thing was uh, the a, a launching pad for for practical effects in the eighties movies because that's. I mean, they was always trying to beat the thing, wasn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got to the end of our first podcast, our first podcast show. It's, wow. it's gone quick. <laughs> we just proved we can do it. Um, we can we can do it if we talk about uh, horrors and eighties and things like that. I mean, may, maybe we throw in some, you know, like a, a sci-fi. I mean, just chatting about sci-fi would probably, you know, a, a broad range of seventies, eighties, nineties sci-fi. Maybe 
Do you want to do that next? Yeah, next so let's, let's do 80s sci-fi. Or no, let's well, just do general sci-fi. General sci-fi, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. I think we'll do that, no problem. So, to sign off the show, uh, if you like the show, um, please get in touch with us. If you didn't like it, please get in touch with us. Tell us what you want to do uh, next, what you want us to cover. Um, at some point, we might have guests on if you want to come on the show and, and, and tell us we're wrong, have an argument with us. We're up for pretty much anything, really, as long as it's not swearing or personal abuse because we don't like that. So email us at decomposedpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like, and I have no idea what the, the visual is going to like because this, the channel does it for us, but we do have uh, a YouTube channel uh, which has currently got nothing on it, but we'll have this show on it when you listen to it because we'll have uploaded it because you're listening to it. Sorry. Anyway, you get what I mean. Um, so you can... Uh, subscribe to us on decomposing podcast uh, at youtube uh, on youtube and that sounded really professional until i went just kind of like that's what am i doing i've turned into a podcaster this is like what has my life turned into mr podcast this is a lot of fun so yeah so uh, we're, we're aiming for about an hour and 30 minutes unless one of us goes off on a ridiculous tangent that can't get back but uh, i think about an hour and a half is probably um the sensible limit that anybody would want to listen to us yabber on but uh, i enjoyed that tony let's do this every week every week yeah you've got you've got me under contract we don't do contracts it's